Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, this episode will be reviewing They Say the Owl Was a Baker's Daughter by Pablo Destere. Um, a little bit about the author and this bio was put together, very well put together, I might add, by my co-host, Mr. Olson. Um, as uh, I'm just going to read it and it'll explain why. Pablo Destere has a very fluid web presence, which makes nailing down an official bio a bit difficult. We know him as the mastermind behind Brown Paper Publishing, um, which is where we picked up Chris Dwyer's When October Falls, Kuboa Press, which currently has Chris Deal, Cien Fuegos, and the Out of Bullets Throw the Gun Fiction Challenge, uh, and lots and lots of whiskey shots at AWP. He recently stabbed a knife through our hearts by starting a book discussion podcast with his lovely wife, Sarah Destere. <laughs> I hope Pablo takes that with the right amount of humor. Okay, so we're going to be talking about the book, like Livia said, is called They Say the Owl Was a Baker's Daughter for Existential Noirs. Uh, this is, as it states, a collection of four novellas that are thematically linked. Um, the theme is a little bit up for <laughs> up for debate, but we'll be talking. And, and I'm saying this in a funny way. It won't make sense right now. But um, basically, yeah, four novellas packed into a book. And uh, the titles of the novellas are Caspar Trollane, Approximate. That's the first one. The next one is called I Poisoned You. Uh, following that is 12, 11, 13. And finally, Man Standing Behind. I was going to say, I hope you can take this whole episode with a, with a, with a sense of humor, not just the, <laughs> the bio part. All right. I don't know how we really want to cover this, so we're just going to kind of roll into it and see where it goes. So thematically, um, the, the real theme here, I think, is um, the protagonists that are slowly losing their minds surrounding like murderous circumstances, I guess would be the, the clearest way I could put it. Yeah. So you've got your basic run of the mill, uh, average kind of blue collar worker protagonists typically is what we're, we're faced with in these, in these four different novellas. And like Livia said, some unexpected or unanticipated circumstances happen involving uh, people getting killed um, that kind of throws their life in and their and their mental state into upheaval. Um, so that's one of the big themes throughout. Um, I think one of the things that I, that I found pretty consistent as well was the way that he used their own like uh, internal thought process against them in a way. Like everybody was, it seemed like the protagonists typically were were uh, um, kind of paranoid or they overthought things. And in those situations, that paranoia led them to make probably not the best or well, most well-informed decisions about things. I agree. And I think that, um, and we'll talk a little bit you know, more specifically about the writing later, but the way he does that is um, is just fantastic. Because I think that in a lot of situations when you get into something as, as uh, into the disparity that some of these people fall into, you might have some crazy kind of disjointed ideas. And I felt that there was a, a very certain realism that was added from from the look inside the head of the person that's going through this. Yeah. Yeah. And the way he handles the idea of like, you know, my entire life just got turned on its side and how, you know, trying to think for how would I feel in that situation? I feel like it would probably be close to some of the stuff that was going on in their heads and the way that they were thinking about things like that nervous paranoia of, Oh, did, did they know about this or did I do this or did I not do this? And those types of things was, uh, um, it felt really real. 
Yeah, let's tell the listeners a little bit about this stories individually and kind of give them an idea of what we're talking about. So cool. the first one is um, Caspar Trelane, Trelane um, Approximate, which is a story about Caspar. And Caspar uh, has, um, I don't think I'm giving anything away, comes up pretty early, has killed somebody recently, you know, several months ago. And a stranger approaches him one day basically um, saying, I know what you did and I'm turning you in in three days. Which is like... When I read that, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be cool because, like, imagine, just imagine that someone comes up to you and, and knows your darkest secret and gives you three days to freak out about it. Yeah, um, and he really filled it in well. That was, like, probably the biggest head trip of the bunch. But, uh, yeah, that was a really, really cool premise. Yeah, it's the longest of the stories. And when I say the longest, it's a, it's a narrow margin. It's, I think, maybe almost 30% of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's this guy, and like Rob said, a total head trip. You know, this guy's trying to figure out who is this guy, why is he doing this, how could he have found out I did this thing, why, you know, and this guy further goes on tormenting Caspar, or maybe in some cases it's Caspar um, just tormenting himself because he can't really attribute necessarily attribute things to the you know the villain in the story, but you know he he basically anticipates and takes everything that happens and and tries to you know, fit it in or try to figure out how it fits into this whole situation that he's in. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The, uh, the next story is called I Poisoned You, and it's essentially about a guy uh, and his relationship with his brother who, uh, in a drunken confession, the brother tells the protagonist that he believes his girlfriend is cheating on him uh, pretty much at the very beginning of the story. And once again, the story is essentially about this guy knowing that his brother's girlfriend's cheating on him and, and what he does, how he reacts to it and, and the, and the choices he makes of, of what he's going to do about it. Again, it's a first person kind of perspective. So we see everything from his very disjointed, um, perspective. And so, uh, yeah, it's a little bit weird. Yeah, definitely. And it's another, just another situation where the protagonist slowly gets crazier and crazier as the, as the story goes. Um, and it's done very, very well because being with this guy uh, along this ride, like, you know, stepping back from it, you go, this is all pretty crazy. But, you know, just just delivers it in such a way that you kind of start to to feel it's not as crazy as you're going through the through the story with them. Mm-hmm. The uh, third story is called 12, 11, 13. And it's uh, the timeline wise, probably the shortest one. Uh, a guy goes out you know, around midnight or so to, to get a pack of smokes and some cough medicine and um, he, he sees this very strange fellow um, that he's never seen before, and he sees him go into uh, go into an apartment next door to him, where he knows this guy doesn't live. And he kind of starts to imagine um, what this guy is doing in, in that apartment next door to him, and it's uh, kind of affects his sense of reality. Yep, he he just starts obsessing about it, and. Yeah, just won't let it go. He he tries to you know talk himself out of of doing these ridiculous things that he's doing, but he just can't stop thinking about it. And one of the cool things about this, um, which I don't think is a spoiler either, is um, the the characters, like the the strange person he's never seen before, and there's some other characters, have some really really weird physical attributes that um, turn the whole idea of of how our perception of seeing people makes us think what their character is which I thought was, was a, was a cool thing to do. Agreed. It was, uh, it, it was of the, um, four stories. I think it's the one that left me wanting more 
um, the most. Yeah, a lot more uh, because, of like that. Yeah, unanswered. Like, what's going? What's really going on with these people? Kind of thing. And uh, the final story in the book is a bit different. Uh, uh, it goes down a bit different than the rest of them. And it's called "Man Standing Behind," and essentially, uh, <laughs> right at, right at the beginning, our main character is at an ATM trying to get some money out and uh, is essentially abducted by someone with a gun and uh, <laughs> is pretty much forced to to be not his like companion but he's basically like a a hostage that goes around with this guy with a gun witnessing the crimes that he's committing and really not having anything that he can do about it so that's it for the four stories um so as you can see thematically it's it's you know i said about people who you know it's a progression of, of what goes on in their heads all of them taking place over a very short span of time in the books with the exception of the first one that goes on for you know surprise three days and the rest of them all taking place in, you know, eight, 10, 12 hour periods and not very, not very long at all. So you're, you're with these characters, you know, almost every moment through the course of the stories. Um, yeah. So, uh, there's actually a lot to talk about as far as the style of writing and everything. So let's jump into that. Livius, what's your biggest impression of, of how Pablo writes? Um, Pablo writes really, really, really well, as evidenced by the fact that he, you know, beat the asses of 12 or 13 authors in that uh, uh, out of bullets throw the gun contest. Um, it, the first thing I thought and halfway through the first story was that it reminded me a lot of Paul Auster's The New York Trilogy. Um, and that opinion did not change throughout the course of the book at all. Mm-hmm. Um, New York Trilogy. And I, I, Livia said that he had gotten started on the book before I did and, and I think that the elements of the New York trilogy that that at least I felt um, in this book would be there's definitely some mysterious characters. Uh, there's lots of puzzling situations that um, that these these people have to figure out. You know, try and be a, a basic you know detective um, and figure out what's going on in their lives and why these people are affecting them in, in these ways that they aren't, you know, are unexpected and everything. So to me, that was the feeling that I got. And, and it was a lot of, I mean, the perspective is kind of the same. So you've got, you're just following around this one person in their mind and you don't know what really is going on. You're just seeing it from this kind of, I've heard the term thrown around a lot and I don't know if I'm using it exactly right, but the, the unreliable narrator kind of situation, because obviously some of them are, uh, you know, either a little bit crazy or, or, or going off their rocker a bit. So that's the feeling that I got that I thought was pretty similar to the New York trilogy. I agree with you on that. The other one was just um, the New York trilogy dealt a lot with people's with identity and not, you know, really being sure of who they are and stuff. And I think that some of the protagonists also go through that as they get a little crazier and crazier and lose grip with reality that they're really questioning, you know, who they become and who is this person in this situation. So, mm-hmm. As far as the writing style goes, and I think this is going to be illustrated pretty well when we throw out some quotes, of which I have seven. Um, he's just got to... There's there's really two things going on. I'll, I'll mention the nice one, and then Livius can kind of go into the other one, but the... the, the <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> right under the bus there. <laughs> so he has a very imaginative way of explaining things and describing things that's just... that makes you want to keep reading um the way that he describes uh i guess i should do an example just to kind of 
to kind of explain what I'm talking about, but there was a, there was this one quote, which I think is probably my favorite in the whole book. Uh, I was a button that fit fine through the hole, but fell right off after. And so it's descriptions like that, that you know the situation and the context of the situation. And when he describes it like that, you know exactly what he's talking about. And uh, I mean, that's present throughout the entire book, which I thought was just great. Yeah, Pablo's writing is really fantastic. And I, and I think that um, even, and that was a very, very clever um, description there, but even his more basic ones really um, capture the way that people can feel about you know, certain things. And it's some of the mundane things in life that, that can, um, that can explain that to you. So that being said, <laughs> I'm going to move on to, um, <laughs> Pablo managed to use bodily functions and bodily fluids in ways I never thought I'd see on the written page. Um, and when I say that, um, there are more cramped stomachs and, and uh, protagonists urinating and defecating on themselves and drooling <laughs> and I, it, with without any reason other than being you know terrified. It's not like it's you know drug induced or I mean I guess in one story it might be a little bit alcohol induced, but um, man, is this book just filled with bodily fluids? Yeah, and he uses it in a variety of ways, which is even more impressive. Like sometimes it's expressing emotion, like. Uh, I can't get, I can't think of a good example, but like, you know, it's a reaction. It's a physical reaction to a situation that causes the person stress or something like that. So like he uses bodily functions, um, you know, to when someone's experiencing, like they're, you know, repulsed by something or they're, you know, they're feeling, you know, terror and anxiety or, you know, things like that. But sometimes it's just like, you know, it's just there. Fear, you know, terror, things like that. He throws a lot of, like Livia said, you know, vomiting and bleeding, and there's a lot of drool, way more drool than I expected. I, I, I want to make sure I say that. Like, how I, much drool did you expect exactly? Well, none, and that's the thing. Like, I didn't. <laughs> people don't really talk about drooling in a way that's important enough to, like, you know, remember. But like. Man, I can remember. I, I could think there's probably at least four or five situations where I was like, "Man, drool!" All right. I'm gonna read a, uh, a a passage here to kind of exemplify this. And like I said, you know, Rob and I have laughed a lot about this, you know, between ourselves. But I mean, the delivery on all of it was was really really good. It was just like Rob said, a lot more than than you'd expect to come across. But here's here's a perfect example of what I thought was was good use um, of, of of bodily functions <laughs> to explain how someone's feeling. Every time I sat down to the toilet, nothing would issue. It was as though I dried up somehow just when I knew I'd have relief. Then every time I stood, I could feel the writhe of things inside me, the slup and pressure down of waste. Groaning, twisting my head at the end of my taut neck, I seriously gave consideration to defecating while standing in the shower, just letting myself empty. Uh, it goes on for a little bit after that. Um, but And that's one of the more, you know, tame, less, <laughs> less repulsive instances where this comes <laughs> up, but... Um, at that point in the book, I actually had made a note about it. Um, and that was, I don't know, 19% in, I understood, I'm sorry, that was actually way later in the book. I made a note earlier. That's uh, halfway through the book, but, um, you know, like I could kind of understand where this guy was coming from at that point in the story. So, you know, out of context, it just sounds like it maybe wasn't necessary, but I think at most of the instances, even though at times it seemed like it might've been a little gratuitous that it was, uh, it was definitely, used in a manner to convey 
a feeling again of despair or of fear or or of you know kind of loss of you know normal thought mm-hmm. yeah like the same way that someone would describe someone pacing or tapping their fingers or, or repetitively doing something out of anxiety or something pablo uses the functions of the body <laughs> Now, I managed to put that very eloquently. Rob, on the other hand, sent me a message the other day while he was reading this. <laughs> oh, which you know, Rob, one? Rob and I had <laughs> talked a little bit about, yeah, which one? Rob and I had talked a little bit about um, for our next year in review episode to actually give out some awards. And some of them could just be funny awards or, you know, stuff like the, the longest title we've read or whatever. <laughs> this one, he sent me a message that said something like, um, uh, Pablo de Sierra's book earns the Sean Ferguson Plunger of Approval Award for poop content. <laughs> so that might be our first official category for. <laughs> so, you know, guys, there's still time. There's still, you know, nine months left to come up with something that uh, that could catch the Sean Ferguson Plunger of Approval Award. And I want to point out that our Bizarro episodes did take place in 2012. So jeremy robert johnson so far is being beat out by pablo de Serre's noir noir existential novellas um one thing i did think about though when we were just talking about this is like there like we said you know there's this gratuitous use of bodily functions but it occurs to me that the suspense in the book doesn't really take place um in violence as much as it does in the the anxiety and fear and, and the emotions that, that the, the protagonists are feeling because of the violence that has taken place. That's a very good point. And it took me a second to wrap my mind around what you were saying, but you're right, because there's not, we don't see a lot of violence in the book. Yeah, but it's, it's, a, it, it's like it, it, all the stories kind of live in this like despair of thoughts and, and emotions and stuff of what, not necessarily as much of what has happened as what will happen because of it, I think. Right? Am I right about yes, that? Absolutely. Not a lot of remorse in the book. <laughs> yeah. There's um these characters are yeah, I mean, talk about fucking down and out. You know what? It's like we're gonna we're gonna start calling this guy Pablo Despair. Oh. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, you went there, didn't you? So we'll have a lot more examples of the fantastic writing um when we get to the quote section. Yeah, I've got some uh, interesting quotes, so um, is there any other thoughts that you have about the stories in general, or do you want to get onto quotes? Um, I have a couple. Um, Pablo and I talked a little bit about this collection um, before I started reading it at AWP, and uh, he had said something that that you know stuck in the back of my head while I was reading this, and he had said that that people who read them as individual stories that he didn't get really um, you know really good feedback on on them, or really uh, that people didn't like them um, as much as did people who read them in the collection of novellas. Um, my thought on it, although I really enjoyed, um, I really enjoyed every story. So let me start by saying that I think I might have liked them more, um, reading them separately over a period of time because the themes were so similar that, like I said, it was just despair, 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 where it would have been, you know, each story was very despairing. Um, I think it just, like it was too much of the same type of thing. So even though I really enjoyed them all, I think personally I would have enjoyed reading one now, one a week from now, you know, or reading them over a period of time. Oh yeah. I could see that. I, I, I don't know where I would fall because I'm trying to think about reading them kind of spaced out. 
And um, I, I think honestly that I would like some and not like others if that were the case. But I think that as a collection, it's, it's a strong thing. So I, I think I'm going the opposite direction of you. Okay. Yeah, I really liked them all. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I just, I thought I, I wouldn't have even thought to mention this if he hadn't have said that to me. So I thought I'd roll mm-hmm. that out there too, that I'm kind of going against the grain, I guess, by saying, I think I would have enjoyed it more separately. Cool. I don't know if it's cool. It's just me wanting to be different. All right. What else you got? I want to do my quotes. Oh, um, oh, the other thing I, I may have mentioned this very briefly earlier on. So I'll be a little more, um, one of my criticisms is that, Although I'm pretty good with there being some mystery left um, when stories are done, uh, Pablo very obviously wrote this, and with and I'm not going to get into any specifics, just not to spoil. But three of the stories left me really wanting, not necessarily it laid out completely for me, but a little more explanation as to motive than I got. So that's probably my only criticism of the book all or of the stories all around is that there was, it left me wanting too much, specifically the, um, uh, well, the, the first story. So all of them, except for I poisoned you, left me wanting mm-hmm. either to know more about so-and-so's motives or what happened. At least I don't want to get into specifics, just not to ruin the stories for any listeners that are, that are going to go back and read this. But um, if you're somebody who likes it wrapped up, uh, you know, neatly with a bow on top, uh, you're going to find a couple of these uh, are going to leave you wanting. I think to some degree that just has to do with the fact that we're seeing it from the perspective of these kind of whacked out protagonists in some cases. Realistically, either he would take the story in a very safe direction or he'd turn into Haruki Murakami and just start talking from an entirely different, like, you know, like <laughs> perspective, like the, you know, suddenly it's like a third person. Like, this is what mm-hmm. happened. Like God comes in and tells you what the end of the story was or something. So, right. No. And I understand, like I said, it's very obvious he did it purposely this way so you know it's it's the story that needed to be told and and i understand that it's just that he introduced some we talked about this a little bit in raw shark tech when we talked about the raw shark text um you know there's some really really great underlying stuff there that you want to know about but in raw shark text like as much as i wanted to know about some of that stuff like it was okay that i didn't in a couple of these stories i kind of felt a little shortchanged that's totally fair i agree like like i want I want like a Mycroft Ward like weekly tele- television show because I like that character so much. Exactly. All right, Mr. Hasty with the quotes, you can get on with it now. <laughs> All right. I actually had one, two, three, six. That's right. <laughs> one, two, yeah, three, six. Some, some great counting skills. There you go. Six quote <laughs> six quotes. I already gave one, so I'm down to five. I might not use them all. Um, but uh there's there's some really good ones in here. The first one I want to give is from the, the first story. Uh, and it's describing, uh, as we said before, this guy is basically told this guy is the, the main character is approached by a guy who knows what the, the main character did and, and has said, I'm going to turn you in in three days. And so this is the main character describing the guy who's going to turn him in. He was a horror Montgomery Fent. I couldn't have shaped him out of exhumed slimes of animal. He was repugnant, a cruelty, so complete, I felt my eyes tearing just considering him. It's just such awesome writing. That's the other thing I forgot to mention earlier that I wanted to. Um, he did a really good job of naming characters. I don't have a lot of name, like character names written down, but the characters' names were all pretty cool. I liked them all. They're a little weird, a little out there, a little different. Like One of the characters' names was Aldous. 
Um, yeah, there were some really cool names. Yeah, there were no John Smiths in this. There were definitely, um, yeah, definitely. And original. weird ones like Alicia. So it was like L E C I A. So it's like Alicia without the uh at the front. Yeah. Doesn't make it sound like you're struggling for a name. Exactly. Uh, All right. I'm going to go a little different direction with my first um, passage. Damon, call it, call it a quote. Um, Rob went for the fantastic writing. I'm going to give you an example of how um, we talked a lot about, you know, him getting inside the, the protagonist's head or getting you inside the protagonist's head with like the crazy stream of consciousness, almost thoughts at times. So um, there's there's not a lot of setup here. This is the first story. Um, uh, the protagonist is trying to figure out um, something about the guy who is giving him three days to, you know, before he turns him in. I guess I could just right, jump right into it. The old man maybe had a key to her apartment. He was a neighbor. It made sense. So the fat guy had asked, could he borrow it to hide out for the night? They had gotten spooked. I was still following him, but didn't want to just stay in the old guy's room or what else? He used to be involved with her, still had a key, happened to know the old man and to throw me off the trail, had visited with him then ducked into the woman's apartment, but why would he call the police? How would he know she wouldn't be back? Where had she been? It was senseless. I felt I was trying to reason with the rules to a card game invented by a six-year-old. That's definitely some good stuff. And again, an insight into like the crazy way that people think. I've got a couple quick ones that I'm just going to say at the same time. Uh, again, just the way he, he describes things that I think is, is great for both of these. The stairwell all but hurt to walk in. The space... Left by a lost tooth I was scraping at. And then the other one is Claudia, Claudia, on my mind like the scabs of a scratched rash. Ew. See, again. Gross, but like, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It gets the point across. Um, Here's another one also from the first story. Uh, And this is just more for the writing and his kind of thought process. It wasn't that. It was that in his menace, he'd managed to leave only worthless crumbs of choice for me to tap through. Pellets that dropped soggy from his mouth. Choices I could make, but only knowing full well I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. All right, so this one kind of is, is more... I wanted to, to use this one because of the way that it illustrates the weird paranoia that, that Pablo's characters tend to exhibit. I looked at my coffee. Of course it hadn't been drugged. I was just collapsing entirely. Lack of sleep, mental stress, my injuries, the alcohol clotting my veins into bones. I like that. The alcohol clotting my veins into bones is a really cool uh, image to put in someone's head. I agree wholeheartedly. Man, and looking through this, I think I have like eight quotes just from the first story. And <laughs> I, think I, I think I may just keep going with, with, uh, with the first story. This is uh, the protagonist has uh has just been called by name by the uh the antagonist of the story he retched my name casper 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 two distinct words made of it the first elongated imbecile sounding cas the second a staccato stifled sneeze purr pronounced purr then he freely warped the name laughing wheezing stomping on the back of my right calf once Cusper, Ketplert, Kespes, Clar, Plar, Curd, Pest, Kesser, Pear, Crack, Plack, Curd, Plow, a jumble of nonsense, flabby laughter, blows stuck to me here and there. Well done, sir. That was, that was horrible. That was terrible that I even tried to read that, but I really <laughs> like that passage a lot. I think you did a great job. Oh, gee, thanks. Keep going, kid. All right, so uh, <laughs> this I have one more. And this, I, I, I know I took this note specifically because of how well Pablo 
really encapsulated what it's like to to work in a blue collar kind of retail environment. <laughs> this is just shockingly real. Um, there's really no setup needed, but essentially one of our main characters had uh, was trying to you know call off for the day because he was feeling sick, and he so this is his, uh, his reflection on the phone call with the supervisor that he was trying to tell he wasn't coming in. There seemed something particularly cruel in my actually getting sick, something in it that made calling off into an actual task. Like it was something so much more unacceptable because there was sincere need. And I gotta tell you, I can't tell you how many times I have felt that that's the real situation. That it was easier to get off uh, of work when you were faking ill than when you actually needed to, to not be around. Yeah, I just hate people who call off from work, so I can't even comment on that. You're that, yeah, you're the bitchy woman in this scenario, aren't you? Yes, I am the bitchy woman in this scenario. But you know what? That's interesting because not only does he do that, there's a part, um, I think it was in the first story, I don't have a note for this, but he talks about how he's trying to make a getaway and he's trying to figure out if he has enough money and it's like a day before or two days before payday or whatever. And he's like, you know, God damn it, how many times did I, you know, said I was going to sign up for direct deposit? And I have heard that comment from several of my coworkers over the years. So he manages to capture these stupid little things like that, like the calling in, like the signing up for direct deposit. These kind of trivial things that lend a legitimacy to the story. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Incidentally, later on in the book, he mentions about um, going into, I think it's a gas station to get his favorite pizza that he grew up on when he was a kid, which was just really, really cheap pizza. And if he's, uh, if he's talking about Totino's pizza... I'm all over it. I still eat those like they're going out of style. Dude, you're going out of style saying shit like that <laughs> where people can hear you. Oh, my God. You're right. All right. I'm going to go back to saying things <laughs> that sound really intelligent because they were written by Pablo Destere and didn't just come off the top of my head. <laughs> um, I actually have two more. And again, it just some of this stuff is so crazy that um, <laughs> this is from the first story again. So I'm going to try to waddle through this this long passage. If evening was 6 o'clock, I had less than 12 hours now. This made sense. I nodded and nodded. 3 o'clock would be mid-afternoon, so sometime between 12 and 3. Probably between 12 and 2, as it would hardly seem fitting to say early afternoon, then let it go as close to mid-afternoon as possible. 1 o'clock was the most likely, because once it really gets an hour into the afternoon, it's rather stupid to call it early. It's just afternoon. Early afternoon, afternoon, mid-afternoon, late afternoon, evening. This progression didn't satisfy me. No. There needed to be some term between mid-afternoon and late-afternoon. What? I didn't know, so it was wrong. I remember that very specifically, and I was like, wow, this guy's <laughs> really uptight about this. Well, you know, but it fits so well in the story. Like, he didn't get a definitive time that he was going to be turned in, so he thinks it's, you know, mid-afternoon. <laughs> He's trying to figure out how much time he has. It makes perfect sense to me. To stop saying that I can really relate to all the crazy people in these stories, too. That's another thing I have to stop doing <laughs> Everybody take note, Livius is the crazy one in the podcast. Oh, I think everyone knew that already. All right, my last one is from I Poisoned You, um, just because I'm going to stop before I have to read you the whole damn Pablo de Stare collection. Um, <laughs> this guy's progressing through craziness. He's in an elevator with a woman, and uh, he says to her, you're just a fucking goat, aren't you? I said casually. 
saw that she tensed down on herself, lips stiffened, little cadavers. There was a kind of silence after that that made me have to keep from contorting in mirth. When the elevator door opened, the floor beneath Leisha's, and the woman stepped forward away, I reached to tap her shoulder, had it in mind to repeat the insult, but she slipped away, unknowing, before my hand could get at her. My arm just limped through an empty space, the door shutting while she cockroached her way along, likely to burst out into sobs, mortified that I could still be behind her. This guy can fucking write. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Such a uh, inconsequential moment in the story, and he still made it, like, worthy of remembering. Yeah, so... So that's it for quotes before I get too uh, too long winded and continue reading <laughs> stories. Um, you ready to do some wrap up? Yeah, let's uh, let's uh, wrap it up. Give it a quick rating. All right, I'll go first if you don't mind. Cool. So, what to say? A collection of four stories individually. Um, three of them, I think, absolutely brilliant. One of them, really good. Um, together as a collection, it didn't work as much for me as I think it would have worked individually. Um, a couple of the stories left me wanting some more um, background information, some more reveal maybe. But that being said, the writing is absolutely phenomenal. Um, bodily functions and fluids aside, um, after dinging off a little bit for, uh, for wanting to read them individually and, uh, and another little bit for, for leaving me too desirous of backstory, um, this is going to be four stars. It's a fantastic book. All right. Okay, so here's what I've got. We've got this collection of four kind of noir novellas, and um, the theme basically being that uh, your main characters are going through these situations where, you know, death basically has happened either at their hands or or in their lives, and we're watching them kind of deal with it. Paolo has a way of writing that I really enjoy. Uh, Some of those quotes that I gave obviously illustrate how talented he is in explaining things and giving really good descriptions of it. The, <laughs> the flip side of that being that everybody's pooping on themselves. <laughs> so not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but that takes away from my ability to like, you know, uh, recommend it to, to everybody. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. I'm actually, this is my serious review, Livius. I can't believe you're laughing over it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm going to mute myself. <laughs> wow. He actually muted himself. Okay. So, uh, but uh, that's not to say that it doesn't work. I mean, like, like I said before, I believe that that was a very valid way of expressing, uh, in a descriptive way, someone's emotions, because we do experience emotions in a very physical way. Sometimes, obviously some people way more than others. <laughs> um, but right, this is just a long-winded way of saying I enjoyed these stories, and I feel like possibly, I don't know, I don't know if I'd like them better. Like Livius brought up that thing about whether people like them better on their own or, or in a collection, and I think I could take them either way. All in all, I enjoyed it um, a little bit more than I liked it, so I'm going with a three and a half star rating. And you can unmute. all right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you really muted yourself. Um, I had to because I couldn't stop laughing over you saying that you couldn't recommend it to yourself because there's too many people pooping on them. Yeah, I mean, I really liked it a lot. Um, uh, You already gave your review. Well, here, now I have some other things to say. Oh, come on. All right. It's very hesitantly. I'm looking forward to reading more of Pablo Destair's stuff. That being said, I was told by somebody 
um, that it was the most accessible of his work. So, all right. Um, well this noted. Book is a, this book is available um, as is um, all of Pablo's work. I believe all of it um, for free as an ebook. And you can pick that up at uh, at smashwords.com, uh, which is where you can get a book to read in, in just any any um, format you want. No Kindle on your computer, um, your PDF, whatever. Uh, and, uh, oh, the other thing I was going to mention is the, the title. That's from Shakespeare. They say the owl was a baker's daughter. From Hamlet. From Hamlet? Yes. Um you can also actually buy paperback copies. Livius didn't mention this, but I know that uh, this particular book is published by Kuboa Press. And if you go to their website, and I think there's like two, there's like a basic, like these are the books that we have in print right now, but then there's another link that's like special editions or something. And um, it's one of the special edition ones, I believe. And you can buy a paperback copy. It's less than six bucks. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's very affordable. I remember last the first time we talked about books from uh, from Destairs Press, where we said that it might be like twenty eight dollars for shipping. Oh yeah, you really. Uh... <laughs> I'm surprised he never called you out on that when we were in Chicago. Basically, calling him a shyster without like saying it. No, Pablo. Um, <laughs> Pablo's just a hilarious guy, and we were we were talking, and he's he was talking about a book. I don't remember what book he had a book in his hand, and he's like. He's like, you know, he's like, I can tell you, he goes, if these people are spending more than like $4 to get this printed, they're doing it the wrong way. Like, like he's just like ready to tell people how to save money on printing costs. Like Pablo's just awesome. I love that guy. Yeah. And, and he loves just giving away. He has a great, here's the thing. Like the dude's really good at writing. Um, and the things that I've read by him, obviously we liked his stuff better than we liked the other collection for out of bullets. And we liked this collection and, you know, stuff like that. So, so his approach to he doesn't want to capitalize on selling books basically he just thinks like people should have good writing that they have available for them to read so selling doesn't really matter to him too much he wants people to just have good stuff to read which i can really i can really admire i think that's a cool way to look at things yeah the other thing that i guess that i didn't um really mention the paper books is because i'm in the middle of having to read two paper books and I don't miss reading paper books at all. Not even a little bit. <laughs> I'm the same way. Uh, so, uh, I guess long story short, if you're, <laughs> if you're, if you ever track down Pablo, he'll probably buy you uh, a shot of whiskey and then pee on you. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. I, I only got the first part of that. Thank God. Yeah. I don't know what happened <laughs> you know, between you and him, but <laughs> All right. Um, not that easy to find Mr. Destair online. He does have a, uh, a Twitter, which is um, Pablo Destair. I guess I should check that before I say that. I think you're right. It's Pablo D-S-T-A-I-R. For anybody who doesn't know how to spell Destair. There you go. Um, but also, he is, um, had at this point, probably the only competition we have for a podcast. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so I guess, I guess we should probably mention <laughs> it. Um, the Destairs, um, uh, Pablo and Sarah, have started their, uh, it's not even a book review, it's a, it's a discussion, and it's very much like um, just listening to two people talk about a book that they liked, and it's, it's, not, um, it's not really structured or, or anything like that. So, But they have some very, very interesting insights into writing and stories and some stuff that's uh, way over my head at times. But uh, you can find that at pswearebetter.wordpress.com. 
and uh, that's where you can find them. So if you want to give another uh, book review podcast, likely the only one we'll ever endorse or mention on this podcast. Yeah. Um, go, go and check that out. Yeah. Both really, really intelligent, fascinating people. So, yeah, definitely. If Livius is right, that's the only book podcast besides our own that we're ever even going to like acknowledge exists. And then you can check out um, some of the other stuff Pablo is publishing at Kuboa Press. That's right. Uh, we actually have some news to talk about, too. All right. So I don't know how much this is news news, but it's very exciting for our little podcast. Um, it's our one-year anniversary coming up here in very, very shortly. April 1st is the one-year anniversary of when we uh, we pushed through our first episode that we worked on for weeks and weeks <laughs> up until we uh, we released it. So we're very excited about that. Yes, and to celebrate or commemorate or whatever eight the fact that we are having a one-year anniversary. Laminate. 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 To laminate. The f- <laughs> laminate. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we don't want to do another. We just did the year in review episode a couple months ago, so it would be kind of ridiculous to do another one. Uh, so we had the idea to let you guys do it. Um, and here's what we thought. We thought if we have people call in and leave us a short voicemail, basically giving some thoughts on Booked in general or, or thoughts on us somehow surviving to the one-year mark, uh, we could add those voicemails uh, at the end of an episode, an upcoming episode. So what we did was we, we've we posted on Facebook and we posted on the Booked website, and now we're also telling you on an episode, uh, if you call in to our Google Voice number, which is area code 424-242-2069, um, you'll get a nice message thanking you for for joining us for our celebration or one year anniversary. You can leave a voicemail and we will tack that on to the end of whatever episode it, it ends up being that, uh, you know, makes the most sense to put them on. So that's our way of celebrating one year is to ask everybody to call in and tell us how great or how terrible they think we are. Yeah. And I guarantee you at least half of those will make it to the show. Yeah. If you, yeah, if you sent a bad one in and it didn't make it, I'm sure the call just didn't record properly or something. That's right. All right, and for those of you who are driving in your car and have managed to fumble your way around for a pen while you're uh, flying down the uh, the expressway, the number here is 424-242-2069. You can call that anytime, day or night. It's not going to ring an actual phone, so you don't have to worry about trying to get hold of Rob at 1030 in the morning when he's still asleep or anything. So you just leave a message anytime, day or night. Yep, and if you didn't get that number down again, just go to our website, and there's a little Google Voice widget right on the front page. And you click call me and you can enter your phone number and Google Voice calls your phone and and then connects you to Google Voice. So it's a really nice, easy, no hassle way of of getting in touch with us. You know what? It's so easy. Go do it now. We'll wait. I feel like we did this recently and I just thought it was dumb then. Really? I think it's genius. Actually genius. You know what? Call back now that you've called and left your message (laughs) and tell me if you thought that was was dumb or kind of funny. Uh And we'll wait. (laughs) <laughs> get it all because right. all right yeah i got it it was maybe funnier when you did it all right um all right next bit of news this is probably about a week old but um you know and doing the thorough thorough oh news. hey i just thought of something i hate to interrupt you like this That's but okay do you know what you give for the one year anniversary paper it's the paper anniversary i think that's very appropriate there you go so i'm um, serving you with some papers that's right <laughs> write us a letter and hopefully it'll get to us by the two-year anniversary. 
Here it is. All right. Continue. Sorry. All right. So this is news that's um, I don't know how old it is, but in doing the meticulous research that I do for the news portion of this show, which means, um, <laughs> you know, when I'm on break at work scrolling through Twitter. I came across um, Anthony Neil Smith on Twitter had posted um, a, a tweet uh, that took me to Amazon for a book called uh, I don't even know how to explain this properly. Um, this book is called Don't Know Jack by Diane Capri. So we've talked on the show a little bit about well, a little bit, quite a bit about plagiarism and, you know, entire books having their you know, titles changed and, you know, the theft of intellectual property for covers and stuff. This one's a little different. Now I'm going to read you the description. Um, and uh, hopefully if any of you know who Jack Reacher is, this will, this will make perfect sense to you. Jack Reacher, friend or enemy. It's been a while since we first met Lee Childs, Jack Reacher, in Killing Floor. Fifteen years and 16 novels later, Reacher still lives off the grid until trouble finds him, and then he does whatever it takes, much to the delight of readers and the dismay of villains. Now someone big is looking for him. Who and why? Hunting Jack Reacher is a dangerous business, as FBI Special Agents Kim Otto and Carlos Gaspar are about to find out. Otto and Gaspar are by-the-book hunters who know when it's necessary to break the rules, but they don't know Jack. Yes, it actually says they don't know Jack. Reacher is a stone-cold killer. Is he their friend or their enemy? Only the secrets hidden in Margrave, Georgia will tell them. So, essentially, um, as it said in here, 16 novels that Lee Child wrote about Jack Reacher. Um, we talked a little bit about his kind of Superman style of, of books when we had um, Neil Smith on the show early on. Um, so someone has taken his character and is writing a book about people that are looking for him. Now, I don't know if he makes an appearance or not in this. Um, I stopped reading the Reacher series probably around book six or seven. Um, but, man, this this seems like it would be some type of intellectual property theft, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think you hit on the biggest part is if, like, if the character doesn't actually make an appearance in the book... I think they're pretty much safe and I'm no like, you know, intellectual intellectual or intellectual property expert by any means. But um, I think if it's just alluding to a character that exists, you know, I, I don't think that there would be a problem. But like if somehow the Jack Reacher character is in there, I, I don't know how they'd be able to, unless they had permission from the author. I don't know how they'd be able to do that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't imagine that Lee Child is giving someone permission to write about his uh, about his character. I mean, his his moneymaker. Um, it does say in her bio, and I'll read you just the first line here. So this is kind of open to interpretation. Diane Capri is the best-selling author of six novels. The number one worldwide publishing phenomenon Lee Child calls full of thrills and tension, but smart and human, too. So, you know, that you know, makes it sound like, you know, like he endorses this, but this is also a new series. So I don't know. Yeah. And I guess my thought, I, I go both ways on this. Um, my thought would be, first of all, you know, maybe it's just flattery or, you know, she's, uh, she's, she's a fan of this series. And so she's, she's writing these books, you know, because of her love for, for the stories. Um, that would be the the optimistic outlook. the The other way to look at it would be, if um if I spent years and years cultivating basically a world that involves very specific characters, um and and grew famous because of it, or or 
or whatever. And then someone started to write a series based on that series. I, in a way I would be thinking that they were just kind of, you know, trying to game off my success a little bit. Like I could see it both ways. I could see how I'd be flattered for someone liking my character so much that they wanted to, you know, talk about it, but also like, Hey, you know, why can't you just do your own thing? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like, it's not exactly the same thing as continuing a classic character. Like, you know, lots of people write Sherlock Holmes stuff. I mean, this is a current, mm-hmm. you know, current character that that's existing. I'm sure that, you know, it's, it's got Lee Child's got to be getting up there with Patterson. There's probably one of these coming out every three or four months now. So I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's seems kind of concerning. I personally think it's a little um, shyster-ish for her to, to do that, but. I, you know, I have no idea. Sadly, the, uh, it looks like the reviews are kind of mixed. I didn't really read through many of the reviews. I didn't really fully read through any of them, but I skimmed a couple and it sounds like some people think it's just a total waste of time. Yeah. And others think that it's actually good. So, uh, I don't know. But here's the concerning part. So this came out February, uh, I'm sorry, came out January 26th. So it's out for two months now. It's number 510 paid in the Kindle store at $5.99 a pop. So I would imagine that puts it ahead of a lot of other, how do we say this, real legitimate original fiction. Um, It's like number 11 in police procedurals. Wow, dude. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, in in following some of the, you know, the previous guests and stuff we've had and friends of the show on there, you know what, a lot of them would kill to get to number 11 in a category like police procedurals, you know, on the free store. Mm -hmm. But 11 and paid, she's she's raking in some, uh, she's raking in a little bit of dough on this too. Yeah, I don't know what to think about it, so maybe we should ask our, our listeners to tell us what they think about it. Yeah, if only there was a way we could do that. Hey, how about Facebook.com slash Booked Podcast? If you have an opinion about this story, uh, let us know so that we can uh, we can stop waffling on the topic and make up our goddamn minds. Yeah, I think I think that would be a good idea. Let's move on to the next news item. Cool. Shall we? Yeah. All right. So just uh, <laughs> I think Sean Ferguson actually first brought this event to my attention when uh, he pointed out that Anne Rice was going to be at the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo, which is April 13th through the 15th. And I glanced at it, but I didn't really think much of it. We just recently reviewed The Wolf Gift with Anne Rice. We just uh, recently ripped up The yeah. Wolf Gift. We, we, yeah. That was a, yeah. we yeah, we mauled The Wolf Gift. And, uh, and so Sean, I think, kind of just ironically sent me the link to the fact that Anne Rice was going to be in Chicago. Um, I was looking through the the list of literary guests the other day and I noticed not only is Anne Rice going to be there, but also Charlene Harris, who looks nothing like either Livius or I imagined. And uh, one of Livius's uh, favorite or more favorite or often mentioned authors, F. Paul Wilson, is going to be there as well. So um, basically at this point... Um we're, we're checking the voicemail regularly to see if Anne Rice wants to buy us lunch um, for having done her the service of reviewing her her latest book. Um, but other than that, yeah, I don't think we're really going to make it to the C2E2. Yeah, sorry, C2E2. If you had someone uh, other than Anne Rice and Charlene Harris, we'd think about it. Maybe if you had a, a Haruki Murakami. 
Yeah. Anyway, if her, if her and Haruki were in the same building, it could be just dangerous for us to be there. That's true. But if you happen to be into comics and also into, for some reason, Charlene Harris, uh, check out C2E2 because it's coming up April 13th through the 15th. Okay, so that's that's the news that I think I have. Uh, Livius, why don't you tell everybody what we've got coming up uh, as far as, as more readings that we're going to be giving them. Um, coming up in the extremely very 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 near future um the wrong kind of reading will be uh posted up it's going to be broken down into four episodes um and you'll hear uh readings by seth harwood anthony neil smith david james keaton and more there's a lot of great stuff coming up so you're definitely going to want to tune in for that that's right and we also have the shindig in shy town which is going to be a little bit later on that's the one that was hosted by david james keaton and jason stewart and uh has a whole bunch of really good readers there too uh that'll be a little bit farther down the road oh i totally missed this but a quick note i wanted to make we've been advertising a little bit about craig clevenger's uh kickstarter he had going for his short film called smoke and mirrors and he was raising funds for it they reached their fifteen thousand dollar goal but at the time that we post this, there's still a few days to give. And because they reached their goal, they're trying to get to 20000 now. They want to see if they can do it. So uh, links at the uh, main page of Booked. And also uh, we'll have links up on the Facebook as well if you want to go over there and uh, give a little money to Clevenger's Smoke and Mirrors Kickstarter for his, uh, his short film. And if you have anything left over after that, I've started my own Kickstarter simply that I, so I can make enough money so I can send enough money to become an executive producer on smoke and mirrors and get a walk on. <laughs> so there we'll have links up for the Kickstarter, which is you're going to be giving to him anyway. You'll just be giving to me first for me to give it to him. So you'll be helping out two people instead of, uh, instead of six finger films and Craig Clevenger, you'll also be helping me out. So I'll have, we'll have links up to that as well. $5,000. That's what I'm looking for. That's what you call a win, win, win. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> there it is. There it is. So um, definitely um, check out Smoke and Mirrors. There are some very cool um, uh, tier uh, donation rewards. Um, and uh, something we're very, very much looking forward to. I keep saying it's going to be our first movie review when that comes out. Yep, probably. Um, it's coming up book-wise. All right, books. Uh, we've been talking about books a lot. Uh, that are coming up, and we're actually reading them now. We uh, we just gave you Pablo de Ster, which we've been talking about for a while, and there's a couple more that, that are in the near future. We've got uh, Zombie Bake Off by Stephen Graham Jones, which is going to be in the next few weeks, as well as Christopher Moore's new book, Sacre Bleu, which is, uh, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but I just tried to make it sound as French as possible. Sacre Bleu. Um, that's, uh, that's coming up as well. And as we mentioned before, I uh, or maybe we didn't mention before. It was in one of the readings, so probably we didn't mention before. But we will mention in the future. Uh, I'm going to be trying to go to uh, Chris Moore's doing. I and Livius, both of us, we will be trying to go to one of the 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 stops he's got on his book tour that he's doing in Milwaukee on April 11th. I'm very much looking forward to that. I just Not tried to Milwaukee because Milwaukee's kind of a dumpster, <laughs> but um, to Christopher Moore. So. Yeah. And I will be introducing Livius to Altera Coffee, which is my favorite Milwaukee coffee shop. There we go. I'm looking forward to that, too. So lots of cool stuff coming up. Keep coming back every week or in some cases every day, like for the readings. Yep. 
that'll about wrap it up for our very long-winded review of Pablo de Stairs. Uh, they say the owl was a baker's daughter. Um, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Olivia Snedden. Keep reading. Keep pooping. <laughs>